Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swartz. My name is John Keeley. This is the podcast segment of the show that is not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for the 363rd show is Matt Barbs author and director of the Sawmill Museum, who will be talking with us today about his book, The Hidden History of Clinton, Iowa. Our history buff is Rick Sweet. Uh, Rick, the floor is yours. Thanks, John. Matt, uh, you mentioned in the earlier segment that uh, uh, there was uh, not a strong uh, union sentiment among the uh, the workers in the lum- lumber industry, uh, as opposed to uh, the railroad. You, would you mind elaborating a little more on comparing and contrasting those uh, uh, labor union sentiments between the two segments? Uh, yeah, that uh, you know, in essence, with the, you know, when you look at the railroad and even the raskers themselves. The, the captains and the pilots, you, know, you, you had your different brotherhoods and your, and your different uh, basically ways to um, kind of socialize and then, and, and, and then of course, unionize. Um, and, and, you know, and there was much more um, kind of uh, room for, for movement uh, with the railroad especially. Uh, so if you were an engineer or a switchman or things like that, uh, you, you know, you were Chicago Northwestern, Rock Island Line. You you had uh, lots of different uh, abilities to take advantage of different political mechanisms. And I guess the easiest way to perhaps say about a sawmill worker is that, um, once again, the turnover is so huge. Uh, you know, you have 40% turnover every year of, the, of a workforce in a mill. Uh, you have... Uh, also, the fact that kind of go back to the political arm is I would say that uh, you know the mill owners themselves controlled the media. They really, once again, were controlling wages, and there was uh, uh, really a, a much harder grasp of uh, the workers in, in a mill. And you know, so many of them were going to just go uh, hop on a, a raft and go to the next town and and months or the next year. You also had the fact that you only work 200 days a year. So you, you had this natural let off time where once again, a lot of them moved to a different town or, you know, they're only working briefly to go help their farm or, you know, they started opening up other businesses in Clinton, which a lot of them did. Um, so it, it seemed to be kind of a, a mix of different things um, that, you know, the rail you know, so many of them were already employed somewhere else that came here. Uh, the uh, much better year-long employment, better wages, um, and it just seemed like you know, uh, locally for the sawmill worker, you, they went kind of back to maybe more neighborhood associations uh, rather than uh, focusing on. Um, Kind of unionization or, or, or labor, um, and and I think okay. in the 1970s that it also uh, when there was the big strike that ends Clinton Corn, you see kind of a 
a similar sort of breakdown around uh, unions and, you know, basically, you know, a, let's use the correct words, right, brotherhood or not. A lot of the people even in the union didn't like the word brotherhood and some other things that uh, associated with the Red Scare, uh, even in the 1970s. Sure, sure. So I, I found it kind of interesting that perhaps this is kind of goes all the way back uh, to the 1870s, kind of this, we don't want to quite, you know, embrace the brotherhood aspect of, of labor. Okay, um, Matt, I'm, I'm going to kind of go back to Clinton's geography, and, and particularly you were talking about holidays and celebrations, and that made me think about, so is does Clinton have a thriving downtown area during the, you know, this sort of late 19th century um, with lots of bars and, and um, places where people can get entertainment, um, both legal and illegal. Uh, do we, do we have a, uh, a, a thriving part of that, or is that something that um, really just didn't develop in Clinton at that time? Oh, it was, uh, in fact, it was the main reason we had a police force is, that when the lawgrass came in in April, May, and you had all the sawmills starting up, there was a huge influx of capital and basically people who were here who needed to maybe, you know, stay in a hotel. Uh, you had, uh, you know, basically an immigrants that were coming to town. You know, in the German-American Museum in Davenport tells, you know, this story much better than we ever would. But you have that same sort of push and pull. You're trying to figure out where to go. So you do have this uh, uh, every year kind of uh, a growing demand of employment needs uh, with the sawmills. So from that aspect, it was great if you were, uh, and you see this happen all time and time again, a sawmill worker who is going to go open a bar, open uh, gambling, open a cigar shop. Uh, and then really, yeah, you had a lot of the downtown buildings um, are going to be um, built around this time to kind of withstand the you know really big commerce uh, people coming in from Fulton and different regions even in the 1880s and whatnot to do the Christmas shopping. Um, there was a lot of money to be that was flowing through uh, Clinton. You know the, the banks were very strong uh, with that lumber capital and different businesses kind of uh, you know bringing those up. So capital was really uh, flowing. Uh, a lot in the 1880s and 90s, kind of an aside to, yeah, you might you might not make a lot of money as a sawmill worker, but if you could make enough and get a loan and you could go try to open your own uh, business or take advantage of all this uh, free cash. A lot of young 18, 20, 22-year-old uh, single guys that need to, to have uh, all sorts of entertainment, Matt. So. Um, let's take... Um... A step back to the 1870s um, at the beginning of your book, and I'm going to ask you if you came across this term because my grandfather, who was born outside of Brainerd, uh, Minnesota, and there was a lot of um, forest up there, and there was definitely it didn't have the uh, the transportation of the Mississippi like Clinton did, but there was a lot of lumberjacks, and they used to refer to the guys who were the lumberjacks who were not exactly what they considered to be possibly the modern civilized status known as Jack Pine Savages. Uh, these guys were very uh, much on the road. 
in your early research, did you ever come across that kind of lumber uh, man who was going from town to town, from mill to mill, uh, definitely a rover, but was someone who was definitely considered by the community to not live to the high cultured standards of the local town or city? Yeah, the to me one of the most poignant stories to come across is called the riot of, of the Dubuque steamer. Basically, a rafter. Uh, Pockmark Lynch is his name. Shows you already kind of the character you're dealing uh, yeah. with. Unfortunately, they have a yeah. a race riot on a steamboat. A black porter basically said he couldn't go up to the top deck to have drinks, and so him and his ruffians uh, basically killed six or seven African American workers, <laughs> threw the rest off the boat, took control of the boat. And then you had to have a a posse uh, basically take control of the boat. He escapes, and they capture him a few months later. Um, but that is uh, – so, yeah, in fact, that's why the police force uh, develops, is that uh, especially the uh, the veteran raftsmen – or a lot of times that's what they would do. They'd be a lumberjack in the winter, be a raftsman in the spring, and then kind of just, as you're getting at, be a savage for six months. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, drink away all of their profits that they would have made and go back to the North Woods in the winter. So you do encounter a lot of that in Clinton. Um, it's, uh, it, it, I think it also adds a lot to Clinton's uh, development and its character and reputation. Uh, and so, yes, definitely here you have multiple examples of these. I, I had not actually heard of Jack Pine Savage before, but, uh, yes, you have ruffians as they were usually called, that would come in and wreak havoc, you know, steal the ladies, and then, uh, you know, go off to the next town or the next boat. All right, Rick, you get the last question. Hey, thanks. Uh, Matt, you, uh, you mentioned uh, in sort of an answer to uh, uh, or question that John gave earlier, uh, but I'd like to have you kind of give us a picture. What happened ultimately to... Uh, Clinton's lumber industry and uh, all the, the the lumber barons. Yep. So the the number one reason why Clinton sawmills closed is that all the founders died, <laughs> and so even before the woods run out and everything, then you have a big panic of 1893, which really reduces uh, the the, uh, the demand for lumber, and so like W. J. Young. His descendants are Clinton Herald and Clinton National Bank and some others. Uh, the Joyces, they go uh, to the south, and they're now the, the billion-dollar foundation in Chicago. Gardeners go to Laurel, Mississippi. And if you actually go to Laurel, Mississippi, half the town is named after the Eastmans and, and Gardeners, um, and they were from Lyons. Uh, Clinton Lumber Company. In uh, the bridge work was at the heart of our downtown, where the, where the riverfront, where the showboat is, and our ballpark and pool. Uh, when they closed, the Hosfords gave all that green space to the parks department. Uh, the Lambs do some various other things locally for a while. Uh, the Curtises stayed around, but eventually, uh, you know, pretty much everybody uh, moves out of town, or they've had so few kids that. Uh, their lines are, are, are no longer even existing, but um, but basically by you know the Great Depression, if you will, uh, most of them had moved on to different uh, locations, uh, mainly uh, Chicago 
in, in the West. So, um, and yeah, so basically 1908 is when the last log is cut in Clinton. And you have some big lumber yards that come in, like Eclipse Lumber and some others, and you, you kind of take advantage of this kind of network of lumber yards. And so it's not as if, you know, these things just kind of all sit empty. Uh, other businesses take over, uh, you know, like the Curtis's take over some of the lamb sawmills to expand their operations. And so you kind of still have a, a heavy manufacturing presence. Uh, so they, they don't miss too much. There's not actually too many down years in between how Clinton's able to reinvent uh, their economy. Um, but yeah, for the most part, uh, it's my favorite story of that is W.J. Young had like 1,200 employees in 1892, 1895. He's got 80 employees by 1896. He's dead. The kids closed the sawmill. So, <laughs> you know, that's a heck of a Ouch. turnaround. Ouch. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, we would like to thank our guests for this 363rd show, Matt Parbs, author and director of the Sawmill Museum who talked to us about his book, The Hidden History of Clinton, Iowa. The history buff for today's show was Rick Sweet. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALA HD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio, all one word, in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.